going to talk about Kanye West, Candace Owens, Ben Shapiro, the ADL, Ali Alexander, G6 insurrectionist, and more. And I'm going to circle around the topic of Christian anti-Semitism. And by that, I mean... So, listening to Richard Spencer here talk about Christian anti-Semitism. So, anti-Semitism is a fancy name for anti-Jewish or Jewish critical. And it's not an essential quality, right? There's no essential quality to being Jewish or to being Christian or to being white or being black or Aborigine, right? Qualities manifest differently in different circumstances. Wow, look at that enormous ship coming into harbor. Wow. So I'm here at Sydney Harbor, and you can just see the outlines of the Sydney Opera House there in the, in the distance. Okay, so just like it's Saudi money that's funding Elon Musk's free speech takeover of Twitter, right? So the Saudis are on the side of freedom, guys. Well, in this circumstance, they are. But in other circumstances, they're certainly on the side of repression. Right? So no group is eternally on the side of repression. No group is eternally on the side of freedom. No group is eternally on the side of God or on what's right or what's wrong, all right? The side we're on depends upon circumstance. Something very specific. So I, I'm, I'm sure that everyone listening to this has been exposed to what could probably be called most accurately casual anti-Semitism. Uh, these usually involve... And so a lot of what's called casual anti-Semitism or anti-Semitism is simply that people tend to dislike and fear, even hate those who are different from them. Right? Jews, just as high a proportion of Jews have fear and hatred and negative feelings towards non-Jews, right? anti-Gentilism, as, as non-Jews have towards Jews. Right? We all tend to have negative feelings towards those who are different. Uh, depending on the circumstance, right? those feelings may be more or less intense, but uh, may absolutely have nothing to do whatsoever with the intrinsic qualities of whatever group or individuals we see representing a certain group. Involve Jews being good with money or tight with money or not great athletes or something like that. Um, I can remember when I was growing up, there was a joke of, uh, uh, how do you lose a Jewish cop? You take the toll road, you know, ba-doom crash. <laughs> the implication that Jews, you know, are very tight with money and wouldn't chase you down the toll road. Um, we only have so much time, so much energy, so much mental processing power. And so to reduce all these variables, put people into groups, right? We don't see people, generally speaking, who we don't know, we don't see strangers as individuals, see them as members of groups. And that's just how it is, and we tend to fear and loathe and dislike those who are different from us. Right? Everybody hates a stranger, says Mark Twain, and Jews are everywhere a stranger. Even yeah, the angels I mean, these, in strangers. my mind, are the equivalent of, you know, funny jokes about Italians uh, or whatever, in the sense that they might be mean-spirited in some cases. Uh, they might also contain a kernel of truth. But at the end of the day, they're rather benign and maybe even rather meaningless. Uh, but Christian anti-Semitism is something different, and I do think it's something more profound. And uh, as I said on Twitter, um, I, I think there's a kind of... Of course it's going to be more profound because Christianity came from the Jews, all right? Why do people lose everything? and get punished for expressing Jewish sentiment, but everything derogatory can be said about white people without penalty. Why is that? Because Jews, number one, are much more effective at organizing in their own interests. Wow, 
I was just talking to a family member and they talked about my chubby cheeks. When I went to synagogue here in Australia, they remembered me from a year ago and they said, wow, you put on weight. <laughs> so yeah, Jews are more effective at organizing in their own interests than white people are. Right? That's, that's your answer right there. Right? A, lot of, a lot of this organization requires discipline and expertise and funds and shaping of narratives. So some people are just more effective at shaping a narrative than other people. A pathological ambivalence to it. Uh, there's inherent mixed feelings and contradiction to this. Well, of course, Christians are going to have mixed feelings about Jews and Judaism because Christianity emerged out of Judaism. Uh, Jesus was a Jew. He came first to the Jews to try to get them to accept his message, and they, of all the peoples in the world, have been the most resistant to the claims that uh, Christianity made for him. So, of course, there's going to be ambivalence. Christianity took on the Jewish scriptures. Though, of course, nobody believes that they're starting a new religion. Everybody just thinks that they're perfecting or fulfilling the existing religion. I mean, Muhammad had the same attitude towards Jews and Christians. And so, the Christian anti-Semite can say... And question from the chat, Joseph says, Do Jews ally with blacks against white people? Well, sometimes, right? When Jews are part of the coalition of the fringe because they fear the white Christian core. They might find some common interests with blacks, just like in other issues. Uh, Jews and whites may find common interest in supporting stronger law enforcement. So, generally speaking, politics in America revolves around a coalition of the fringe, right? blacks, Jews, Latinos, Chinese, Japanese, homosexuals, kind of united against the white Christian core. And by and large, Jews, like Asians, have fit in with the, the coalition of the fringe. And the coalition of the fringe has almost nothing in common, right, except, you know, fear and loathing of the white Christian core. Hey, some rather harsh stuff. Kanye West has talked about people in the media and people he's had relationships with in the recording industry. So if you are Jew-critical, you have to think that Kanye West would be your last choice as a spokesman, right? This is not a guy who tends to sound particularly rational or compelling. I, I, I would not want Kanye West articulating my point of view. I would not want Kanye West fighting for, for my people. I mean, I would cringe at that prospect. As basically being a bunch of bastards. He can say some harsh things. But at the end of the day... He, I guess what's most telling about his anti-Semitism is that he considers himself to be a Jew. And by being a Christian with the blood of Christ, he is a Jew. So my father, the preacher man, he would always talk about how Christians are the real Jews and uh, the Jews that we have today are not the, the real Jews. So many people who are anti the current crop of Jews still want to tie into the ancient lineage of, of Israel that goes back to the Hebrew Bible. So Kanye, my father and uh, hundreds of millions of other Christians are in the same camp. Uh, so that kind of seeming contradiction, I think, gets at the heart of this deep ambivalence. We're all ambivalent and contradictory. Like, one day we hate our boss, the next day we love our boss. One day we hate our co-worker, the next day we love our co-worker. Like, we're all filled with contradictory feelings and thoughts going in many different directions. We need a WASP or Anglo-Saxon organization for protection for our rights. If we don't have that, we're going to lose, says Joseph. Yeah, so you would think that would be the Anglican Church. Like, why doesn't the Anglican Church 
also as an organizing principle and organization for Anglos around the world. Why doesn't the Anglican Church unite the world's Anglo-Saxon tribes and uh, make them a coherent civilization once again, perhaps under the reign of a philosopher king like uh, King Charles? Will, will he do the trick? Jesus came to fulfill the laws of Moses. That is... Right, that's, that's a text in the Gospels. All right, so one text does not a... <laughs> does not a theological truth make, right? So Christianity quickly jettisoned most Torah laws. Now, Jesus was observant of Torah law, but Christianity has never been about observing you know, the ritual laws of the Torah, which are 95% of the laws of the Torah. Is the Pentateuch, or the uh, first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, he did not come to cancel the Jewish scriptures, even though he did uh, break some of the Jewish laws. Well, every new religion that comes along thinks that they're fulfilling the existing religion that they're a part of. So this isn't new or unique in his uh, practice. And um, also is notable for stressing grace and forgiveness above adherence to laws. So there are plenty of segments and parts of Judaism that stress grace and forgiveness above you know, adherence to law. So that's not a unique, brand new insight from Jesus. So from my, my Jewish perspective... Everything Jesus said that was true was not new, and everything he said that was new was not true. So Jesus, even when he was raging against the Pharisees, even when he was seemingly contradicting Judaism, was ultimately a Jew and ultimately fulfilling. So Jews are known for verbal disputes, right? Jews are known for being a difficult and challenging people. So Jews are constantly disputing within, within each other, right? So Jesus was part of this intra-Jewish dialogue. And then from, from my perspective and from the, I think, a, a secular perspective on Christianity, then the Apostle Paul came along and had these visions and completely transformed Jesus into you know, the Christ who was part of a triune Godhead, comes to earth to save people from sin as long as they believe in him and partake in a you know, pseudo-cannibalistic ritual of drinking the blood and eating the flesh. Judaism. Uh, very similar to Kanye, who, in his anti-Semitic quote-unquote outburst, is ultimately declaring himself to be a Jew and declare. Yeah, if if Kanye's outburst was anti-Semitic, then anti-Semitic is a pretty weak thing. All right, Kanye's outbursts were pretty weak tea. Right, they they're not exactly you know, imperiling the lives of thousands of Jews around the world. Declaring Jews as, so to speak, pointing towards Christ. So this is the profound ambivalence that I think really should be taken seriously because you hear a lot of, you know, shrill shrieking in the media of, oh, you know, anti-Semitism is on the rise again. It's everywhere. And these mainstream figures like Kanye West. And how do you get, you know, statements like anti-Semitism is on the rise again? Because there's no objective definition of it. All right. Just the most normal human reactions to people who are different it suddenly gets classified as anti-Semitism. So how bad is the wind? How bad is the wind affecting the audio quality? Western Kyrie Irving, Irving are being anti-Semitic. What are we going to do? You know, next thing you know, uh, the Third Reich is going to come back again. Well, look, that's overstated to begin with. But again, I would stress that what we're seeing right now is not mere Jew hatred. It's something deeper and something more contradictory, and it is. So you don't hate those who you think are below you, right? You only hate those who threaten you. So people who don't have any 
interactions with Jews are much less likely to have negative feelings about them. So, for example, in Australia, you'll find the most concentrated anti-Jewish attitudes in Sydney and in Melbourne, where people are most likely to... people are most likely to encounter Jews. So apparently Richard Spencer's not coming across too is clearly. in the minds of the people saying these things an attempt to redeem the Jews. So let me let, let me look at this a little more specifically in this ADL Kanye West controversy that is happening. And right. So why do Jews support uh, immigration? Right, into majority white European countries but protect Israel against this? Is this a divide and conquest plan and for Jewish interests? Well, the same Jews who oppose immigration into Israel, right, oppose immigration into America. So left-wing Ashkenazi Jews, right, they tend to be for, for open borders, whether it's for the Jewish state or for the American state or the Australian state. Uh, Sephardic and Mizrahi Jews and Right-wing Jews tend to be opposed to immigration or open borders, you know, anywhere, including for the Jewish state. So blessings here to Elliot Blatt. The, the whole gang is here. And, and just a little Twitter and Telegram exchange that I think reveals all the fault lines in this uh, dialectic. Um, yeah, I, I recently was called out by the <laughs> chief of the ADL. Uh, I was connected with uh, Kanye West as spreading sludge on Twitter. So we'll see if uh, I'm a sacrificial lamb, as it were, uh, in Elon Musk stated attempt to protect free speech. Anyway, I hope I'm not. Um, but Max Blumenthal, I've known about Max Blumenthal for quite some time. I actually first encountered him, you know, a decade ago or more, when he was mostly targeting the religious right and conservatives. I remember some of these cringe compilation videos that he would make when he would go to CPAC, and he would interview Christian nationalist or Christian Zionist, and they would say things like, you know, we love Israel, they have our steadfast support, and then he'd push them a little further, and they would talk about the end times, and, and it effectively... Um, I don't know how many it is, but, you know, 100,000 Jews. So uh, Max Blumenthal is an interesting character, right? He's a bloke of the left, but uh, he makes interesting videos. Uh, He raises, you know, provocative points. He deals with a lot of stuff that that the mainstream media doesn't want to deal with. So, you know, kudos to to Max for for the good work that he does. I'm not aware of everything he does, but... uh, certainly found those videos of his that I paid attention to are thought-provoking. Uh, converting to Christianity and the rest of them going up into flames, something like this. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't really go in for his stuff, but there, there was something uh, interesting about it. That's how I, that's how I learned about Max Blumenthal. Uh, over the past, say, four years, he's joined the Grey Zone, or perhaps a co-founder or editor of the Grey Zone. And, uh, he's most notable for becoming a uh, Russian shill, which is a surprising choice, a surprising trajectory that I never would have guessed. Anyway, uh, he was saying something that was critical, but, but also, you know, pretty true uh, about the situation of the ADL right now as being the anti-defamation league that is protecting Jews from... Uh, so Russian shill, that's an interesting designation. So, you know, what makes a Russian shill? So often a Russian shill is simply someone who opposes the Biden administration's, you know, headlong rush into a massive conflict in Europe, risking nuclear exchange with Russia, risking World War Three. So anyone who's critical of the tens of billions of dollars that we're funneling towards Ukraine, suddenly they become known as, as Russian shills.
right? It, it's just a, it's just a put down, right? It doesn't it refer to some essential quality that uh, you just always pro-Russia, right? People are pro-Russia in certain contexts, particularly when they oppose the subsidizing and escalating of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Right? So plenty of people get called Russian shills, you know, without <laughs> without being Russian shills, they're simply opposed to heading into World War III. They, they want to exercise some cognitive empathy towards uh, whatever Putin's doing. Right, and so like Jewish shores, Christian shores, conservative shores, right? They're often just in a certain situation, they're standing up for a particular point of view or interest. It's not an eternal quality, it's not an essential quality. They're just, you know, always pro-Russian or pro-Jewish. Slander and libel and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we, this is, his, this is according to Max Blumenthal. We white American Jews are living through a golden age of power, affluency, or affluence and safety. Acceptance of this welcome reality threatens the entire Zionist enterprise. Well, it's true that uh, American Jews are in a golden age, right? Things are really good for Jews in America. It's, Jews are like the safest they've ever been. Now, that doesn't threaten the Zionist enterprise. The Zionist enterprise simply asserts that Jews, like every other people in the world, have a right to their own homeland where they can set the agenda where they can have their own laws, where they can operate a culture and a civilization the way that they want to without the, the veto power of, of non-Jews. So why should Jews of all the people in the world not be allowed their own homeland? And unless you've got a good answer to that, then I don't see how you can be anti-Zionist. And Jewish success in America or in England or in Australia does nothing to threaten the Zionist enterprise. The Zionist enterprise is not primarily about finding and creating a safe space for Jews. Right? That can be a side effect, that can be a blessing, but its primary mission is to simply normalize the Jewish experience. Yeah, I remember when George W. Bush referred to Putin as Putin, but innocent times. And uh, also, the United States and, and Russia had more in common then. We had, we had common interests. Uh, Russia was a lot weaker. Uh, Russia's become much more formidable under Putin and therefore is more willing to assert its own interests. Also, the West has been steadily expanding NATO right up to the Russian border. Ukraine is de facto, right? This is, this is a lesson here for Sonia Sotomayor. Ukraine has become de facto, not de jure, a member of NATO. So de facto means not in law, but effectively. De jure means in law. And so Ukraine is not de jure a member of NATO, but it is de facto a member of NATO. And so that obviously threatens you know, Russia's best interest. Why would it want you know, a hostile organization on its doorstep? From lobby fronts like the ADL to the state of Israel. So Max Lumenthal is clearly anti-Zionist still, uh, because Zionism relies on Jewish insecurity to justify... So if you're left-wing... Right? Whether you're a left-wing Jew or a left-wing non-Jew, you're very likely to be anti-Zionist because Zionism is a form of ethnic nationalism. All right? If you're not down with ethnic nationalism, if you're a true man of the left and who believes that uh, the most fundamental dividers between people are not race or ethnicity, but they are economics, then you're going to be anti-ethno-nationalism. So... 
Joseph says that uh, European countries are being destroyed by multiculturalism. Well, your main argument is with your own people. Your own people have essentially signed on for the multicultural enterprise. And you have a few tribes around the world who are more resistant to the multicultural enterprise. So maybe there's something to, to be learnt from Jewish nationalism and other types of nationalism. And how can that be applied to European types of nationalism so that people can preserve their own cultures? Well, um, I think there is a uh, lot of truth to what he says. I, I think he's getting at a certain kind of ambivalence at the heart of the Zionist project, at least from... So I don't think that uh, Max Blumenthal is a self-hating Jew. I don't like that term. I don't use it. Right? Not a self-hating Jew if you're opposed to Zionism. Right? He's simply a true man of the left. He has left-wing values that are of greater importance to him than his ethnic values as a Jew. Right, so that doesn't make him self-hating, doesn't make him loathsome, doesn't make him a bad person. Right? He simply values other things more important than ethnic solidarity, ethnic unity, you know, group interests. Right? So plenty of left-wing Jews, if they are more left-wing than they're Jewish, then yeah, of course, they're going to be opposed to Zionism, which is another form of ethnic nationalism. A Jewish standpoint. Uh, and I, also from the Christian standpoint, uh, I might want to go into this, actually. So, I mean, on the one hand, groups like the ADL want to fight anti-Semitism and call it out, it, uh, apparently, with the intention that one day it will end. One day. So what does the Anti-Defamation League and uh, liberals in general have in common? What do they have in common? They're both on eternal missions to educate. So the right looks around, and the greatest threat that we see is disorder and contagion. But from a liberal and left-wing perspective, the greatest threat to our well-being is ignorance and attachments to traditional folkways and uh, not, not becoming modern and uh, rejecting the Enlightenment. Right? From, from a liberal perspective, those are the greatest threats. So also what, what motivates the Anti-Defamation League is uh, fundraising, power, influence, all right? Most people want more power rather than less. Most people would prefer more money rather than less. And so by agitating about anti-Semitism, the Anti-Defamation League gets to increase its own importance, it gets to increase its own fundraising, and it gets to give purpose and meaning to secular Jewish lives. So Orthodox Jews, by and large, don't care about anti-Semitism because there's no mitzvah in the Torah about combating anti-Semitism. Right? Orthodox Jews are so busy fulfilling the 613 commandments of the Torah, they don't have time or interest, generally speaking, to fight against anti-Semitism. But if you're not living a life revolving around Torah observance, study of Torah, keeping the Sabbath, the kosher laws, laws of taharat, mishpacha, the laws of family purity, then you need something to fill up that emptiness beyond the pursuit of pleasure. Like, people want to feel significant, right? One of our deepest fears is feeling insignificant. And so when you attach yourself to a cause that you feel is eternal and transcendent, such as combating bigotry, then, right, you've got significance. Everybody wants to feel significant. We all, you know, sign on to various causes and ideologies and groups to keep 
those latent feelings of insignificance at bay. Some of us even make live streams. Uh, there will be no more anti-Semitism. Jews will be just like Presbyterians or Methodists. It will just be another religious denomination. And any criticism of Judaism itself will be much like a Presbyterian might criticize the Catholic dogma or something like that. Um, uh, maybe he doesn't even want that, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But on the other hand, Zionism relies on anti-Semitism in a way for its justification. Now, this is not... Okay, that's not true. All right, Zionism simply means that Jews deserve a state just like any other people. That Jews deserve a place where they can develop their own civilization and culture without the non-Jews having veto power over them. Like, why would you deny Jews out of all the people in the world uh, the ability to uh, have their own state? What do I think will be the outcome of the Kanye thing? I think he's in a lot of trouble, and uh, I don't see him coming back from this very effectively unless he does what, what Jews call tshuva, unless he makes them you know, dramatic you know, repentance. Yeah, we want to feel significant. We want to go where everyone knows our name, and they're always glad we came. We want to know where people are. People are all the same. We want to go where everyone knows our name. So I don't see this ending well for Kanye West or Kari Irving or anyone who is saying publicly Jewish critical things. Because if you're a cele celebrity or you're a famous person in America, there's just going to be unbearable media and elite pressure against you if you're publicly saying anti-Jewish things. It's the third rail. It's the most hot-button issue because you have the most effective organized resistance against you. Completely accurate when you think about the history of Zionism in the state of Israel. But in terms of the way that it's legitimized, it's legitimized first as we're just a little democratic liberal state in the Middle East and we deserve your support, but also we are the last refuge for when anti-Semitism rears its head again. We are the one last escape from the next Hitler, and this is why Israel sh should always exist. So in that sense, it justifies itself on the existence of anti-Semitism. It needs that. It needs anti-Semitism. It needs even, you could say, and I think Max Blumenthal is saying this, a, a kind of um, schizophrenia on the part of Jews that where they see... Okay, I think he's overstating it. Yeah, there are certainly lots of advantages to an in-group identity where you feel persecuted, where you can kind of team up and unite around your fear and loathing of the outsider. That's good for any in-group identity. If it's paranoia, right, if it's completely detached from reality, then that comes with an enormous price as well. So I don't think Jewish existence or the existence of the Jewish state depends upon whipping up paranoia about how, you know, the Cossacks are coming to get you. See anti-Semitism everywhere. After all, more anti-Semitism, more justification for Israel. That's what I think Blumenthal is getting at. Um, I don't know if Candace is getting at this. Um, and she affirmatively retweets Max Blumenthal, says, you are about to get into a lot of trouble for stating this. Reminds me of when I said something similar about the NAACP and BLM way back when. When you dis uh, disrupt the trauma economy and call out the not-for-profits that benefit from it, you become their next target. Uh, I, I would um, give Candace some credit for this. Uh, and I think, you know, if we're to be charitable to Kanye West, that is, try to represent what he's saying in the best possible light and not just, you know, focus on the kind of contradictions and strangeness. Uh, so trauma economy, that's that's brand new. I don't think we had such a thing as the trauma economy 50, 60, 70 years ago. Right now it's become a big thing where you know, trauma becomes a whole economy. 
it's a whole new concept. It's like in the traditional you know, Jewish outlook that there's no such you know category as, as trauma, right? For example, if you were molested, right, it wasn't it wasn't expected to be something that would forever ruin your life, right? So trauma comes from the the secular worldview, where where psychology has more importance, right? It's the importation of, of non-Jewish values. Really don't understand what Kyrie did that was so bad. All he did was post a link to a book that Amazon hosts, right? It's still up. People are watching and buying the documentary and the book. So, yeah, it strikes me as a huge overreaction. But Kyrie Irving, I just saw a remark from a journalist that Kyrie Irving was one of his five least favorite people in the NBA. I don't think Kyrie Irving's made a lot of friends in the news media, right? He, he's not someone that journalists like. And so I think part of the piling on against Kyrie Irving is that journalists just don't like this guy. And so journalists will give a lot of slack to people that they like, but they're, they're very happy to pile on to people that they, they don't like. And I think a lot of this piling on against Kyrie Irving just simply means journalists don't like this guy. All right? He's not very popular. He hasn't made many friends among the journos. And so they're happy to see him go down. Also, there's probably resentment that, you know, this guy's making $30 million a year. And there's also probably a lot of journalist resentment that uh, Kyrie Irving refused to get vaccinated. And so sports journalists, more so than other journalists, tend to uniformly be on the left. So north of 95% of sports journalists are on the left. So they're particularly dedicated to denying you know, human biodiversity. They have a very strong left-wing agenda. And I think they just welcome this opportunity to pile on to Kyrie Irving. Yeah, all he did was you know, tweet to a documentary that Amazon hosts. You'd think, like, why is that such a big deal? And so I think part of it's just overreaction. Part of it is people just don't like Kyrie Irving. And I think a normal person seeing all the pylon against Kyrie is going to think, you know, I feel sorry for this guy. Like, what did he do that was so wrong? He just posted one link to, to a documentary that's good enough to be on Amazon. Uh, I do hear a lot of this. In that interview with Lex Friedman, I actually listened to a little bit more of it last night uh, while I was going to bed, but Kanye was saying, you know, um, they create trauma. And so Disney creates trauma, even with a movie like Bambi, where Bambi's mom died. Oh, I remember seeing that in the theaters and crying, uh, <laughs> crying my eyes out. Um, uh, and, and what he's saying is that they almost need to traumatize you in order to uh, fleece you, you could say. Uh, they they place this trauma in your mind very early on, and then you kind of need to keep coming back to them. Now, maybe that's kind of taking it a bit too far, at least in the case of Bambi. But maybe it's not taking it too far in the case of BLM, that there needs to be this suggestion of widespread, rampant, vindictive, immoral attacks on the black race. So, yeah, I think there's something to that that any group can ramp up its trauma story and particularly if it's good at crafting narratives if it has a larger role than average in culture it can really light up the trauma narratives and and eventually outsiders start to resent it people don't want to be manipulated. So that's the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the background. That's the Sydney Opera House. Why do Gentiles and others have to bow to Jews and their groups? Never see Jews bowing to any other group of people. We all bow to those who are more powerful than us. So 
Jews haven't always been powerful, when Jews lacked power and influence, then I assure you Gentiles were not bowing to them. Right now, Jews are disproportionately, compared to their numbers, successful in the United States, Australia, and Europe. And the natural human tendency is to bow towards people who are more successful than you are and to expect other people to bow to you when you achieve great levels of success. All right, we all tend to be nice and respectful and to concede to those who are more powerful than us. So think, you, think you're walking down the street and there's just a narrow path and one person is going to have to give way to the other person. Right, the person who looks bigger and stronger, more formidable and more scary, right, he is much more likely to be acceded to. People are much more likely to you know, effectively give him the right of way. And so groups that are highly effective at organizing and punishing their enemies, all right, and who have disproportionate influence on the high grounds of culture, such as in the academy, in the profession, such as the legal profession, accounting, dentistry, medicine, law, right? Groups with tremendous power and the ability to organize and to punish their enemies, all right? They're going to naturally find outside groups learning from them and frequently deferring to them, right? So just like hypocrisy is the obeisance that vice pays to virtue, bowing is the obeisance that the less powerful pay to the more powerful. That's just the way the world works. I'm coming back here a hundred times if I have to. We win. They lose. That's how the world works. Race in America by the police. In or it creates, generates this trauma or emphasizes things way out of proportion in order to fleece you, get your donations and so on. You know, um, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, actually. Um, but what I want to get at is um, this is... Uh, this is a response to all this stuff um, by uh, Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro responded to Candace Owens, and he says, I think the ADL is a partisan hack organization, too. But RTing Max Blumenthal, who spends his life covering for Jew haters and stumping for Israel's destruction, makes the conversation significantly worse. It's garbage. So he is, Ben Shapiro is publicly calling out Candace. And he's done this a few times. He has publicly called out Candace, almost pretending like he doesn't work with her. <laughs> he couldn't just, you know, DM her or... Um, at the Daily Wire, walk across. Right, they both work together at the, the Daily Wire. So why do many right-wing Jews regard the Anti-Defamation League as no good? Because the Anti-Defamation League doesn't just fight ethnic defamation, they also have very much a left-wing agenda. But they never pose it as a left-wing agenda, just like liberals and leftists in general. Right? They don't pose as having an agenda. Right? They pose as simply being objective seekers of truth. Right? This is just what's objectively true. This is just what happens when you see the world openly and honestly and you let go of your traditional prejudices and folk ways and your traditional medieval ways of thinking. So when you develop the modern notion of a buffered, autonomous, strategic, rational self who can make decisions and uh, pursue rational ends and has you know natural inclinations towards goodness right you just take that as you know the only enlightened way to be and anyone who opposes that well they they must be primitives 
And so liberals, by and large, don't believe that they're liberals, that they're just another group of partisans. Right? Liberals, you know, by and large, think they're objective truth seekers, that they're the rational ones, that they are the, the products of enlightenment, and the rest of us just simply haven't caught up to their higher stakes. Talk to her about these things. He needs to kind of signal about this and rep- misrepresent Blumenthal. I'm no fan of Max Blumenthal overall, but I don't think he's a genocidal maniac. Uh, interesting. Uh, so this goes a little further. So Canvas responded to that. And um, someone sent me this from Telegram. So Ali Alexander is a really strange and, you could say, disreputable figure. Um, I won't go into some of the rather horrifying rumors. They are rumors, I would say, but they seem to have some basis uh, involving Karl Rove and so on. Uh, Google it if you must. Um, <laughs> he, he has been... I believe, convicted of a felony car theft or something like this. Uh, you know, it's rather bad. Uh, then again, um, if, you know, people turn their life around, if they do the crime and serve their time, they can reenter society, and that's the way it should be. But, yeah, still, there's a little whiff of uh, being disreputable about him. And um, also just being simply a grifter. He benefited immensely from, no doubt, from the Stop the Steal movement. He was taking donations. He was out in front. Um, he is a behind-the-scenes operative, and after January 6th, so there's a huge amount of pressure on him, he was pretty much going nuts. He's also been interviewed by the J6 committee. He, he's in the kind of mid-range of J6. So the, the, there's the low-hanging fruit, that is the people who invaded the Capitol and you know did all sorts of things. There's the high-hanging fruit, the Donald Trumps of the world, who kind of, you know, on, you know, on whose behalf this whole movement was based, but also someone who spurred it on and gave big speeches and promised to walk arm in arm with his uh, comrades to the Capitol. And then there's the kind of mid-range, and that's where Ali Alexander is. He's kind of grifting off it. He's talking to congressmen, according to his own account. He's working with, you know, women for America first and this kind of stuff uh, who um, were renting places where these rallies took place. He, he is a mover and shaker, the one that, who's behind the scenes and not really a household name, like, say, Donald Trump or, like, the uh, QAnon shaman. Uh, I don't believe he himself entered the Capitol, but he certainly uh, greased the wheels uh, and he is, he is also a, a very public Christian now um, and all this kind of stuff. So our girl Candace Owens is, according to Ali, calling out her boss's ethnic victimhood theater tantrum. And he goes on. So, yeah, a lot of these people like Ali Alexander, Nick Fuentes, wrap themselves in Christianity. But you don't actually notice much that's particularly Christian in the way they live. So someone who's authentically Christian, they're going to have to sacrifice for their Christianity. Right? It's going to shape their life is going to change the way they speak it's going to limit the things that they can do and so i think many people found it was disreputable to be alt-right or to be an ethnic nationalist or to be a magatard and they're now you know wrapping themselves in in christianity as a more socially acceptable vehicle for their values and their values are simply you know every organism wants to create an environment where it is best suited for thriving now we we develop ideologies on top of that about why the type of environment we seek is you know the best environment for all people but it's very rare that anyone develops an ideology that is opposed to their self-interest ideologies are simply extensions of our evolutionary makeup where we try to recreate a world around us that is best suited for our own thriving. And then sometimes you may think the path to do that is through ethnic nationalism. Other times you say, oh, the best path to do this is through Christianity. 
and I'm in uh, botanical gardens right now. So the ideologies may change, but what it comes down to is we all want to thrive, we all want to prosper, we all want more power rather than less, we all want more autonomy rather than less, right? We all want more safety rather than less. And so we may switch between various ideologies depending on how effective they are at promoting the world that we want within a certain situation. So looking out at the Sydney Harbour Bridge, looking out, you can see the Sydney Opera House in the distance as I sit here in the Botanical Gardens.